BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. For the fourth time in eight seasons, the Warriors are on top of the NBA universe. Golden State defeated the Boston Celtics last night in Game 6 of the NBA Finals, 103-90. Warrior star Steph Curry was named Finals MVP after scoring 34 points in the finale. Here's Curry after the game. You get goosebumps just thinking about, you know, all those snapshots and episodes that we went through to get back here individually, collectively. And uh, that's why I say I think this championship hits different. That's why I had so many, so many emotions and still will just because of what it took to get back here. Warriors head coach Steve Kerr says this championship had a different feel to it. I think this one may have been the most unlikely just from the standpoint of where we've been the last couple of years, a lot of unknowns with injuries to Clay. Um, you know, Draymond at the end of the year, Steph at the end of the year, um, a lot of young guys, kind of a new core, uh, or, or a new group around our core, I should say. Back in the Bay Area, thousands of Warriors fans watched the game inside Chase Center, and afterwards they had plenty to celebrate. Here's Kareem El-Shabaki from Castro Valley speaking with KQED. It feels amazing. After two years of winning a championship, playing getting injured, Kerry getting injured, everyone is doubting us. Now we're champions. The odds were against us. Everything was against the Warriors. But here we go. Championship, MVP. What else can we say? And here's Tom Temprano of San Francisco celebrating at a sports bar in the Castro District. Getting a title with this group of people who have persevered over injuries, who have persevered through a really rough time, is probably the sweetest title this Warriors team has had yet. We worked the hardest for it. It was the most unexpected. And I think as fans, we're the most excited about this one that we've been about any of our titles. And Warriors fans will have a chance to officially celebrate. A victory parade is scheduled for Monday morning through downtown San Francisco. 
The Food and Drug Administration has authorized the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines for emergency use for young children under the age of five. The CDC's vaccine advisors still need to vote on whether to recommend the shots. That's scheduled to take place tomorrow. The director of the CDC will also have to sign off on the recommendation. The shots could be available as early as next week. And while that's good news for many anxious parents in California, COVID-19 cases are still rising across much of the state. In fact, the latest numbers from the CDC show that 19 California counties are now in what's considered high community level, which means masks are strongly recommended indoors. Dr. Bob Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at UC San Francisco, says he anticipates this latest surge to continue for at least another month, although the number of new cases may not see huge spikes like previous COVID waves. A Bay Area state senator is introducing a bill that would require California gun owners to have liability insurance. KQED's Nina Thorson has more. The bill from Senator Nancy Skinner of Berkeley would make gun owners take out policies similar to car insurance that would make them financially responsible for injuries, damages, or deaths caused by the negligent or accidental use of their weapons. Skinner says that the annual cost of gun violence is $280 billion, and this would shift some of that financial burden to gun owners. The city of San Jose enacted its own gun insurance law earlier this year, which is facing a legal challenge. California would be the first state to require gun insurance if Skinner's bill becomes law, although New York is considering similar legislation. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. Immigrant detainees who work at two privately run detention facilities around Bakersfield have confirmed they are on strike. This comes as California's workplace health and safety regulators have opened an investigation into their working conditions at one of the detention centers. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. According to a new state law, Private companies operating federal immigration detention centers must comply with California's health and safety regulations. Now, seven detainees have filed a complaint to Kalosha against GeoGroup, a for-profit prison operator that runs the Golden State Annex facility where the detainees clean showers and bathrooms for $1 a day. One of them is Vladimir, who says the facility has failed to follow required COVID-19 protections. KQED is not using Vladimir's full name because he's afraid of retaliation. He also says that detainees are working in toxic conditions, encountering visible patches of black mold and a mysterious black dust coming from HVAC vents. And he says that they're sent to clean these areas without proper training or protective equipment, and that workers have asked facility administrators to address the hazards, but they've done nothing. Vladimir fears he developed a persistent cough and shortness of breath because of exposure to mold, which is linked to difficulty breathing and other respiratory problems. Attorney Lisa Knox is with the California Collaborative for Immigrant Justice, which filed the Kalosha complaint on behalf of the detained workers. We want California to use its authority to protect the health and safety of these workers. And that means going in to inspect the facility. She and other advocates also asked the California Attorney General's office to investigate other potential labor issues, like minimum wage violations. Already, a federal judge has ordered GeoGroup to pay $23 million in Washington state for failing to pay the prevailing minimum wage. And uh, we want them to take appropriate action. 
So um, be that fines, um, be that requiring GEO to, to take action to address some of these issues. GEO runs four out of seven immigration detention centers in California. In a statement, a spokesman denied that there's a strike and said the company strongly rejects the allegations and that all their facilities are maintained, quote, in accordance with all applicable federal sanitation standards and also meet COVID-19 guidance from the Centers for Disease Control. The Attorney General's office would only acknowledge it's reviewing the request. Kalosha says they have six months to issue citations if any safety and health violations are found at Golden State Annex. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Glenn Burke is not a household name for most baseball fans, even though he played for both the L.A. Dodgers and Oakland A's in the late 70s. But Burke's legacy off the field resonates today, especially during Pride Month. That's because Burke was the first Major League Baseball player to come out publicly as gay. The A's are celebrating Glenn Burke Pride Night in Oakland this evening, and the Dodgers honored Burke during the team's Pride Night earlier this month. For more on Glenn Burke's career and legacy, the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with author Andrew Marinus, who wrote the book Singled Out, the true story of Glenn Burke. As a minor league baseball player, he did quite well. He hit over 300, I think, five times as a minor leaguer. He set stolen base records in a couple different leagues that he played in. And uh, Dodgers coach Junior Gilliam said that Glenn had the potential to be the next Willie Mays. Uh, which is quite high praise, when he made it up to the Dodgers briefly in 1976. But really his rookie season was 77 season. Dodgers end up going to the World Series. And Glenn played an important role on that team as a rookie fourth outfielder, playing quite a bit in center field after the starting center fielder Rick Monday was injured. And more important even than Glenn's uh, playing ability that year was just his personality. Dusty Baker and Davey Lopes both told me he was the most popular player on the team. Glenn Burke was traded very early on in his career with the Dodgers and for a player that, as you mentioned, showed the type of potential being compared to one of the all-time greats in baseball history, Willie Mays. That just doesn't happen very often. I imagine there was a lot of shock coming from his teammates within the Dodgers organization. You know, to show the uh sort of the status that Glenn had in the organization at that time. He started two games in the National League Championship Series in 1977 against the Phillies. He started Game 1 of the World Series at Yankee Stadium. And so after that 1977 season, there was a meeting scheduled between Glenn and Al Campanis, the general manager of the Dodgers up in Oakland. And Glenn thought it was a meeting to talk about what his role would be on the team the next year. 
Instead, Campanus had arrived to try to convince Glenn to cover up his sexuality. By this point, not only did Glenn's teammates know that he was gay, but management did too. Uh, importantly, Tommy Lasorda, whose own son, Tommy Jr., was gay, knew about it and did not approve of the friendship that Glenn had struck up with Tommy Jr. And so Campanus told Glenn Burke in this meeting in the offseason after the 77 season that he would like Glenn to get married. And Glenn said, to a woman? And when Campanus said yes, uh, Burke said he wasn't going to do that. Campanus then offered him $75,000 for a nice honeymoon, which would be a heck of a honeymoon now, let alone in 1977. And Glenn realized it was a, a really a, a bribe to cover up who he was. Glenn refused to go along with it, knowing that that meant his days with the Dodgers were numbered. And so by the time spring training rolls around in 1978, there are already articles in the Los Angeles papers about how the Dodgers were losing confidence in Glenn Burke. The reporters didn't know why. And uh, Campanis and Lasorda weren't saying why. They were saying it had more to do with Glenn's playing ability, but there are other reasons why they wanted to get rid of him. And so he was traded uh, early in that 78 season to Oakland uh, for Billy North, a veteran outfielder. It took the Dodgers until this season and this month to finally honor Glenn Burke on Pride Night. Why do you think it took the team so long to do so? Yeah, I was disappointed uh, incredibly that it took the Dodgers so long. I mean, it, it's wonderful that Glenn was honored uh, and is, is honored by the Oakland A's in his hometown. But the Dodgers are the team that drafted him. It's the team that he came up in the minor leagues for. It's the team that he played in the World Series for. And that's the team that I think has the credibility because of, not in spite of, their mistreatment of Glenn to do the most meaningful work on this issue that still plagues Major League Baseball and how it treats its gay fans, how closeted gay players in the Major Leagues, how they may feel about how they would be treated by their, their teammates or by management. And so it was incredibly disappointing that the Dodgers waited so long. I think it had to do with the, the power of Tommy Lasorda. While he was living, I do not think the Dodgers wanted to sort of bring up what they thought was a, a painful or embarrassing moment in their past that was so directly tied to this legendary manager of the team. Um, and so it's not too surprising to me that here a year or so after Lasorda has passed away, that and that issue is is removed a little bit, that, that they decided to honor Glenn. Andrew Marinus is the author of Singled Out, the true story of Glenn Burke. Andrew, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Keith. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org And that's the California Report for Friday, June 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Jim Bennett, and Brendan Willard with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Toven Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 